Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications. We also have our producer, Helena Hodges, the VP of Finance and Operations. Now for today, we are interviewing J.D. Dillon. Welcome, J.D. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, before we jump into the topic, which I'm really excited to learn about, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Sure. I'm a learning and development professional who's really passionate about enabling frontline workers. So I've spent my entire career uh, somewhere around the frontline workforce. First half of my career was spent in operational management with companies like AMC and Disney, where I supported frontline workers on the ground doing their jobs every day. And then I transitioned into learning and development, where I now support frontline workers from a bit more behind the scenes. And then for the past seven years, I've been on the supplier side of learning and development, working as chief learning architect with Exonify, as well as with my own company called LearnGeek. Wow. So you keep a little busy. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> So our topic for today, the, the modern learning ecosystem, um, I, is, and you have a book of the, the same title. Um, it, it's about essentially a practical approach for navigating nonstop workplace change. Can you give us a little more context around that? Sure. So the, the book is really a summary of my story from the past 10 to 15 years of my professional life. So when I set out to write a book, I really had two particular goals. One, I wanted to, to be a fun read, something you can sit down, read straight through, and actually hopefully enjoy the experience and laugh along with me as I figure things out, fail several times, and then ultimately come to various realizations about how I need to evolve the work that I, that I do to help people do their best work every day. And then second, I wanted that story to be as practical and real world as possible. Because the last thing I want to do is be uh, currently a guy sitting in a chair in front of awkwardly warm lights and try to tell you how to do your job when I don't know your reality. I don't know what challenges you're particularly facing every day. I know my experiences as an L&D and operational practitioner, but I wanted to make sure that the advice that I give, the guidance I provide, the framework that I recommend is grounded as much in reality as possible. So no matter if you are a member of a 400-person learning and development team in a giant global corporation, or if you're a team of one supporting a couple of hundred people, you can take something away from this story and apply it to help you do your job a little bit more effectively every day. So that was what I set out to do. And so far, the feedback's been great. So hopefully I've, I've accomplished a bit of that. But my ultimate goal is, you know, if you're, if you're in a place where you're maybe facing change and not quite sure how to keep up with all the stakeholder requests and regulatory requirements that are coming your way, or maybe you're new in a decision-making or strategic role in learning and development, and you're trying to figure out how, how do all these pieces fit together? How do I structure the function of learning within this organization? Hopefully, different people who do different types of work in this industry can take pieces from my story and ultimately improve the type of support we provide to our employees. So that's what I set out to do uh, with my story. 
Nice. Well, for those that don't know, can you actually define what a learning ecosystem is? Sure. The idea is that we need to go beyond the traditional four walls of learning and development. So in a lot of cases, we do our best to solve problems with the things that we have control over. So we can build content and courses and programs, and we have a learning management system, and we basically kind of stay in our backyard and we try to get people to come to us so that they can get the benefit of learning activities that we create. And I think we've all experienced how difficult it is to peel people away from their day-to-day jobs, how hard it is to get engagement, how hard it is to keep up with the pace of change within organizations in that traditional structured way. So the idea of taking an ecosystem approach or more of a systems approach to learning and development is going beyond the backyard of learning and development and figuring out how do we take our capabilities and our support to the people we're trying to help and consider more than just traditional learning tactics. So it could be systems that are being used that are not under the control of learning and development or different types of content, different types of experiences, different ways of helping people. So it's really expanding our reach and our toolkit and our options, but doing it in a way that makes more sense in the day-to-day life of the people we're trying to support and requires less of people coming back to us. So activating and architecting this full workplace ecosystem around supporting people to help them do their jobs every day. But at the same time, one big caveat, not really getting rid of anything we do today. So it's not about not building courses and programs. It's about building courses and programs and using all of our tactics when it's the right thing to do, when it's the right fit for both the problem we're trying to solve and the audience that we're trying to help solve that problem and using our skills and limited resources in the right way as part of our overarching learning and enablement strategy. I love it. And then, so the model that you present, you call it a disruption-ready learning ecosystem. Can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. There is no such thing as disruption proof. I see people throw that term around a lot. I think the last couple of years especially have proven that you're never uh, free of change. We work in the business of change in learning and development explicitly. And what was interesting was I've been using a lot of the ideas in the book for years. A lot of the stories come from my time at Disney. And I left Disney a decade ago at this point. Uh, But what it kind of shows is me evolving my mindset on how I do my work by facing my own versions of disruption. In some cases, it was me transitioning in my career from this company to that company and realizing, well, my tricks that worked over there aren't working over here anymore. Or in one case, it was my company went through a massive layoff. And in my case, I stayed with the company, but I went from supporting one part of the company with a certain number of resources to supporting a much larger audience with less resources and trying to figure out how do I do this? None of my old tools are going to work in this new environment. And then you fast forward to the past couple of years, I started to realize how connected the experiences were of what we're trying to solve for nowadays to some of those earlier experiences I had. And that led to ultimately finally sitting down and, and writing the book. But it really all comes from that place of the reality being we're going to be constantly dealing with nonstop change. The next curveball is unknown. We don't know exactly what's going to impact the audience we support or how we do our jobs. So instead of getting very enamored with or maybe siloed into very structured programmatic things, how do we build a more flexible 
infrastructure, architect that flexible ecosystem where we've got consistent ways of supporting people, but we can pivot more quickly. One of the key pieces of the modern learning mindset I put forth is that we're trying to foster organizational agility. So how do we make ourselves as learning and development more flexible and agile so we can bend and weave with the needs of the organization at the same time, help the people we're supporting become that much more agile. So if you know, you're facing a, a customer challenge that you haven't faced before, you can still feel confident because there is a support infrastructure behind you that as you're developing your skills, maybe you're new on the job or the job just totally changed on you because that's the way things tend to work. You still have the help that you need to be able to confidently execute that job as you continue to develop yourself along the way. Oh, yeah. I love that. Now, most of our, uh, at least the TD professionals that I run into, it's like a, a one-person shop, right? Or very, very small team. Can you take us through a case study on maybe how a team would run this type of uh, learning ecosystem? Sure. So I've yet to meet the learning and development function with all of the time, all of the money, and all of the resources. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, I have met some that are much more well-resourced than others. And I think hopefully what's cool about the framework at the heart of the book is that it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, because again, I don't know as a reader, as a listener, exactly what tools you're using. Some organizations have, the average organization has 11 learning platforms. Wow. Some organizations have one. Some organizations have none. Nothing that they would formally call a learning platform. But hopefully the principles that I put forth, the framework that I put forth can be applied regardless of what tools you have, how many resources you have. But the idea is that the principles are always the same. I basically lay out that there are six different things that everyone needs. And it's things like access to timely, reliable information, a way to raise their hand and ask for help, ongoing opportunities to practice and refine their skills, feedback and timely coaching. So it's those common ideas that we're all very familiar with, mm -hmm. but structuring them in a more uh, consistent and scalable way. So basically an example would be, let's say you're a small learning development team. Someone comes to you and says, we need training on. I don't know if anyone's ever had that experience where someone says we need training on. <laughs> and you know, how do you dig into that conversation? Well, one of the early things I start to ask as we have the conversation is what information on this topic that you're asking about, maybe it's some management came to you and said, well, we need training on coaching. Our managers are not very effective at coaching, which I think is a conversation that's constantly happening in every organization. On yes. So we need more training on coaching. Well, we've probably already done the training on coaching, so let's not start there. So what information do you have out there that people might be able to turn to to help them be more effective in, in coaching conversations? Well, we don't have anything. We had the training that they went through when they first became a manager, but that was about it. Okay, so let's start the foundation of the framework and say, well, let's build some uh, on-demand shared knowledge resources. Let's go out and curate some best practices around how to have an effective coaching conversation, make those easily available, something people can pull when they need to. Obviously, people need to be motivated to be able to do this effectively. So it's not on me to motivate everyone to be an effective coach, but I can give them the best opportunity to do it. So let's make those resources available. Great. Okay, so what else are we going to do? Well, let's go a layer up. How do people, you know, if they're getting feedback from their manager, that maybe the conversations aren't going great with their team members, how do they get help? Like, how do they raise their hand and say, 
I need help doing this more effectively. Well, you know, they'd go to their manager and the manager, their manager may not be great at doing it either. Okay. So let's figure out a better way for people to raise their hand. Maybe we're going to create some uh, group activities that people can opt into. We have these group conversations, just making things up about how you solved a particular challenging coaching problem recently. So people can share their knowledge and they have managers across the company they can reach out to to say, Hey, I really liked what you said in the last conversation. Could, you know, maybe we chat. You could help me out with this. Again, no formal training implementation required yet. So the idea is that you're working through a repetitive process or framework to go after each individual problem that either you identify or a stakeholder comes to you with in the organization. And it's the same process every time, but you're working your way towards structured solutions. But the hope is, in my experience with the framework, is that you don't get to the structured stuff nearly as often because Amazingly, people can self-serve their way through problems when they're provided with the right resources or they can get the help they need when they need it. So by building that infrastructure, we limit the need to build a structured program on coaching in this case by giving people other resources. And if we do, however, find out the problem so complicated, uh, it's challenging for people to figure out, maybe we are going to build that structured coaching training pr program, but we're still going to do all the other stuff I talked about put those resources out there, make sure people can raise their hand, get support, give them practice opportunities in, in a risk-free environment to practice their coaching skills. So you build a more robust program when you do need to go structured, but the hope is that you won't have to get there as often and therefore you can use your resources more effectively, especially if you're a small but mighty learning and development team. Yeah. So for that small uh, TD group, what is the maybe perhaps, you know, feeling a little overwhelm on oh, a whole learning ecosystem, you know, knowing that this is still going to save them time in the end. But um, what is that first step that the person can take uh, to implement this? Trying it out on one project or mm. with one particular challenge. I, including in my own experience as a learning and development practitioner in a corporate environment, as well as an advisor of organizations now in the role that I play today, I've never walked into an executive meeting and said, I have a new strategy for learning. <laughs> and this is how we will change things moving forward. That's never worked. Uh -huh. That's a lot of work. Changing the entire way that you approach this job. Yes. People don't have time for that. They have requests. Compliance training is due. The regulations are changing. All of that stuff is constant. Instead, when you take a look at the framework and the models and all these different ideas, I challenge people to say, well, how could you change one thing? Mm. Like I said, if someone comes to you and says, we need training on slightly changing that conversation just to identify what the problem really is, how we're going to measure the outcome of that problem and starting our way down a path of saying, well, how could people self-serve their way through this problem? And then just working through the process in environments where maybe you're working with a champion who's a little bit more open to an idea, trying something new. You have some stakeholders who are going to come to you and they want a 45-minute course, and that's what they want, and that's what they want, and that's what they want. <laughs> so they're maybe not as flexible. And I've experienced that a variety of times, but maybe I'm still going to give them the 45-minute course because that's what they want, and that's what they want. And I love yes-ending people. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm going to build the 45-minute course you want. And... I'd like to add this shared knowledge layer so that people ha can go find information when they want to after they've completed the course and everyone's happy. Rarely do people say no to more. They usually say no to different or less. Yeah. And what's great is by trying out these different ideas, you can then start to measure and figure out, well, what 
What did the employees like? Where did they get the most value? Oh, did they get more value from the on-demand resources than they did from the course? Well, some great verbatims from the employees turned back around to the stakeholder may get the stakeholder thinking differently. Or even better, if you start to introduce some of these new ideas or a different kind of more ecosystem approach to solving a problem, the best trick to pull is to get the people that you're working with to suggest to you, hey, we should do more of that that other stuff that we did. Maybe maybe we don't have to do the course next time because it takes people so much time. It's so hard to get them to complete the course. And then you can nod in, ver- in vigorous agreement and go, that is a great idea. <laughs> great <Even> though, idea. <laughs> right? But the best way to, to get people thinking differently and mindset's a big part of the story. Yeah. And, and the fact that not just how we think about learning and development at work, it's about how everyone we work with, employees, executives, stakeholders, subject matter experts, it's a mindset shift required across the entire enterprise. The best way to get there is to start proving through experiments and trial and evidence that, hey, look, we can change things in different ways. We can help people using different tools that maybe people are less familiar with. Because as L&D, we have this kind of odd problem where everyone has an opinion on how we do our jobs because everyone went to school. So they think they know what learning and education is because they had either a formal academic educational experience. They went to a training program that one time that had a really good lunch, right? They've all had these different experiences and then they bring that with them and they don't necessarily sit around and think about learning science all day or they're not up to speed on the latest technological capabilities of learning platforms, right? They, they're not paying attention to the evolution of our practices like we are. So we have to start shifting their belief structure around learning and development, which again is unique as a function because I still contend no one in your company cares how the accountants do their job, right? They're specialists, they account, the money's there. No one asks, how you, <laughs> how you accounting today? But the learning experience touches the entire organization and people have a, a legacy that they bring with them to that. And that includes learning and development professionals. So we have to start shifting belief in order to get people to not just welcome new ideas, but start to embrace a different way of supporting people that makes more sense for the employee, aligns better with proven learning practices, and fits the nature of the workplace today, given that ongoing pace of change. Nice. Now, are there, so can you share in addition to your book? So make sure and share some information about your book with our listeners. Are there any other resources that they can tap into to learn more about this? Sure. So as related to the book, there's a couple of different things, but if you go to jdwroteabook.com, which is the dumbest URL in the history of learning and development authorship. But, uh, <laughs> so there's, there's some videos on jdwroteabook.com. There's some downloadable resources. There's links to different conversations I've had about the book. And it's the place where I'm going to continuously add stuff. It's actually also referenced in the back of the book. There's a QR code in the last chapter of the book that links to that same website, which is just going to be an ongoing repository of information as I continue to tell the story. And then I also started a newsletter called Ecosystem that you can sign up for at jdwroteabook.com because the reality of a book is that it's done and I can't update it. I can't change it. I can't say, I have a new story or I I figured (laughs) something else out related to the points that I make in the book. This is locked now. So the idea behind creating the newsletter was that I can continue to tell stories. So as I come up with something new, I experience something new in a new project, I can build out on the themes from the book unless someone allows me to write another book at some point. And a side note, I did buy the URL jdwroteanotherbook.com 
in case <laughs> that ever comes up. But uh, I started the website. I think the newsletter, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is, but I think it's a good way to continue to get uh, information associated to this theme. And then one of the other things I, I have on that website is a list of suggested readings. So there's a lot of references to other people's content in the book because at one, it's only so big. I couldn't write, you know, it's not a Lord of the Rings. So <laughs> uh, I didn't want to go deep as an example on learning science principles. I mm -hmm. touch them at a surface level in order to introduce key topics like spacing and retrieval practice. But then I reference Patty Shank's work and say, you should go read Patty's books if you want to deep dive on things like, well, how to write effective multiple choice questions or how to um, really understand the science of memory. She's done a, an entire series of books that's sitting behind me right now that really dives into the science of learning. She's a better resource than I am. So there's a lot of suggested readings both in the book and on the website that if you want to drill into one particular topic that I cover across the overarching story, hopefully that's a, a good kind of starting point. I love that. And I so love your URL. <laughs> I might have to steal that for myself. <laughs> well, all, all permutations of something associated to modern learning ecosystem are already taken. So I couldn't get <laughs> a, a website that sounded like the book. So I decided to go the other direction and just make it about myself as an egomaniac. So jdwroteabook.com. It does reroute you. The website's actually underneath learngeek.co, which is where all of my stuff is. Uh, and then uh -huh. the book and the newsletter are both linked. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, awesome. We'll make sure that is in the uh, episode description as well. Okay. We are at that time in the episode where we go through the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? No. <laughs> are you ready now? No. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So what is, in, of course, in addition to yours, what is one book that everyone must read and why? I, in the book, actually say Make It Stick is the book that anyone who tries to touch education, learning and development as a profession should start there because it's such a common sense approach and telling of basic learning science principles. So if you just want a, a foundation on how does learning work, as a process within a human being, Make It Stick is a book I think everyone in this profession should have read. Nice. Okay. What is one tool you can't live without? And tool, however you want to define that. Uh, at this point, I would say I'm a big Peloton person. So yeah. I, I think if you were just going to start taking things away from me, I think the bike would be the thing that I would probably defend the hardest just because it's a, you know, obviously a good source of exercise, but it's also just kind of as someone who works remotely from home, it's kind of that how I transition out of my work day activity is mm. riding a bike. And I've also never ridden a real bicycle. So it's as close as I've ever gotten to having a childhood basically is riding <laughs> my Peloton. So I'm going to go with the Peloton. I love it. Okay. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Clark Quinn once said to me something to the effect of, and I think I quote it accurately in the book because I remember emailing Clark and saying, Clark, are you okay if I quote you? And he said, yes. Uh, actually quote Clark twice. Uh, once he said to me, JD, you're much funnier on Twitter than you are in person. <laughs> and I still think that's a backhanded comment, but uh, the, the real valuable thing he once said to me was something to the effect of, you know, only do as much work as you have to solve the problem. And I think I came into not just learning and development, but as a professional, 
you always want to do great work. You want to have great quality. You want to check all the boxes, right? Tension to detail, all these different ideas. And then I started to realize that I, I once supported a contact center and I would walk around the contact center floor and I would look at what people had posted on their cubicle walls and the resources that I saw people posting that they resort, that they look to all the time, right? The things unpin, pull down, talk to a customer while looking at this paper wasn't the stuff that I made. It wasn't the stuff that L and D made. It was, it was the worst PowerPoint slides you'd ever seen that someone on the team had made and passed around that people thought were really valuable. And Clark's comment echoed to me as I was seeing that in my day-to-day life and realized it doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be useful. If it could be useful and have utility and be pretty, that's even better. But focus yeah. on what's, what's the simplest thing we can do to solve the problem and help people do their work more effectively. That's where we need to go. So I constantly come back to Clark's oh, quote. I think there's a section nice. of the book that says, as Clark Quinn once said, and that's what I talk about. <laughs> oh, that's great. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today, JD. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for uh, all that you do, everybody out there. Oh. And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't thank our community. But before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you interested in learning more about the Metro DC chapter of ATD or following us on social media? Go to dcatd.org and click on About. Would you like to be even more involved in our wonderful community? Go to dcatd.org and click on Volunteer to get started. 